Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host of the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about data ops. But if you were expecting this to be DevOps for data, you are mistaken. We are actually talking about engineering data, sort of the idea of data stewardship or how you manage and control the data beyond permissions and access, actually the costs and the access, the, how things are stewarded, how the logs are handled, who, who controls how much access, how quickly people have access, where you're putting the data to improve its effectiveness. There is so much going on above the infrastructure, but below the actual analytics that this conversation will open your mind to a whole layer of challenges related to governing, managing data well. I know got a lot out of the conversation. The uh, the topic for today is supposed to be data ops. So and I, that's all I have is a note. So counting on y'all to lean in on the what that means. But I, I think for me, one of the questions I have in all this stuff because of my operational bent is what additional things should people be worrying about when they think about all the the managing all this data, right? We talk about metadata a lot, but we don't talk about, you know, just the infrastructure around maintaining data, securing it, managing it. Um, and and I, I would, I'm super interested to see if there's something that we should be talking about from an operational perspective. Well, well I would... I would ask this question, Rich, give your definition of data ops, because I think it may be different than, than uh, Rob's or mine or Diana. <laughs> that I'm confident in. That's, that's probably true. Um, I would say that um, the starting point for me is usually whose data is it who mm -hmm. owns it and by owning it i mean you know who's both generating who's responsible for generating but also who primarily is the intended consumer of the data because quite frankly the notion of a one size fits all you know here's here's the um Here's the solution. Here's the formula by which you do data ops is probably shows more variation and well, it can't, it can't be done. Data ops shows more variation because of context than probably a lot of aspects of DevOps um, where you are utilizing a lot of um your attention is to the kind of the management, the keeping things, you know, operating, keeping keeping the wheels turning and so forth. So I I think of data ops as having changed an enormous amount in 10 years. And just in five years, it's changed a bit, a, a good deal. Um it now is quite solidly cloud first, scale out distributed. It's hmm. 
highly automated. It needs to be continuous. So there's a there's a premium to be paid for continuity and dynamism in it. Um, I think by by actual practice, it is almost never one source of technology. There is not one. You don't buy everything from, you know, fill in the blank. You don't buy everything from IBM. You don't buy everything from, you know, it, it is whatever. it is really a matter of putting best of breed together based on context. Um, it's very loosely coupled. Has to be because, in point of fact, you are you are composing data ops almost constantly and recomposing it again as the the both the source and, and consumer change. Um, one of the things that I think is key to data ops now is the fact that the data pipeline's eventual endpoint, whereas it used to be thought of as, oh, it's whoever's doing the analysis, it might be a data scientist, it might be an analyst, it might be something. A huge amount of the effort of data ops now is actually turning around the whole performance of the pipeline and using it as operational data going back, feeding back into improving that pipeline changing it i mean both not just to find you know root cause not find um it is it really it, oh, the data pipeline is itself a consumer of data ops and so it is it it's uh, if you don't build that in you're going to get you're going to get bit quite frankly um because there's such a major difference between batch, what we used to think of as, you know, what, what constituted data ops was almost entirely batch. Even with big data, you were going to the, the whole Hadoop map reduce, you know, just basically lots of batch jobs. The introduction of streaming and streaming processing is incredibly important. It's not just the financial um, segment. And, you know, maybe that's the best place for me to stop and, you know, let somebody else throw in a, a, a definition. Does that help? It's a lot. Jane, <laughs> you, I'm sure you have a thought or clause. Oh, I have. It's hard to add on to wise words, um, but they were. Fair enough. No, I'm I'm very much of a like opinion. I have a hard time shortening the definition of DevOps, other than to say it is highly collaborative in nature. It opportunizes contextuality. It 
also is bringing into question why are you shaking your head? I, or, or, I love that phrase. Opportunity, say it again, opportunized contextuality. Yes. To me, data ops is purposeful. Oh, it is very. the only one of the ops, no disrespect, Rob, it's fine. that I see as being totally purpose-driven towards a business outcome. And, and, and that outcome point, is to commoditize data. Right. And oh. also and also capitalize data or commercialize data. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that if you if you treat it as a commodity. Yeah. Right. It's so, actually the the basis that that perception is the basis on which I kind of came up with that whole notion of data husbandry. The idea of you know basically care and feeding of the data throughout that process as a commodity. These are, you know, we there was the old saw in cloud, uh, you know, treating, you know, the difference between uh, pets and cattle. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is exactly the point. The data, the data set, I think, is really kind of the unit. These are these absolutely must be treated as commodified, but also commodities have to maintain levels of quality throughout the entire process. And that is really kind of your your challenge. Yeah. Particularly I mean, now with I, LLMs. But, right. but I mean, what, what you're describing to me is is managing the, I, I guess there's, there's, I need to split this, this apart because to me it's, you're, we're not talking as much about the ops work for data, which is building systems to collect and manage and transfer and the the the, the, the infrastructure side. But y'all are actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're all talking about this idea of who's managing, like how the data itself is being handled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and to your point, sorry, Rich, go ahead. Well, what I was okay. going to say is uh, it it goes it goes straight to the issue of right now of having so many different tools available to you that do slightly different things, but are tuned to you know the context, tuned to both the source context and the cons- and the consuming contexts, plural. And, and there's one more aspect, and, and this is more, more down to the trenches kind of thing, and, and less so theoretical. But that is, uh, there is a growing disagreement between data producers, data curators, and data consumers. And I'm seeing this firsthand sure. because I am managing a large-scale monitoring system so mm. uh so there's there is the um so that the, the producers are, are are the data producers are at, at odds with the data maintainers because the producers want to want to put out as much data as possible just in case they need it and then myself as a system maintainer i'm like you're throwing out so much data that is going that is going to increase the cost by this much, but you're not using it. 
but we're going to drop it. Um, and then the, the consumers are like, well, I, I want to I want to use this data, but uh, I but it doesn't have the metadata necessary for me. So I'm going to create queries that are highly inefficient and, and again, increasing the, the cost to query it. You, you're increasing the cost. So there's a there's a bot, there's a, a pricing signal included in this. Well, certainly, like it, okay. if you are like with, uh, for example, in, in if you're using a, uh, a a SaaS product with like Google BigQuery, um, the cost is tied to how many rows you're touching. Mm, okay. Uh, if you're using a self-hosted product. The cost is tied to what is an acceptable query duration. So if the if the queries are more inefficient, you need to throw more hardware at the problem. Right, but I mean the uh, okay, you're not talking about license costs. You're just talking about cost in general. Um, yeah. uh, it's uh, these are okay. operating costs. Yeah. And and I'll give you you know I had this discussion with someone the other day. And what it really boils down to is the savvy CIOs are getting to the point of recognizing that you need to prioritize speed and cost. Who gets what query through faster at a higher cost versus who gets a lower cost, less timely response to the query. And this whole notion of data ops starts to play into that because then your purpose changes from um, the direction of I'm trying to make a better business decision to I get the answer when I get it based on how much it costs me to get that answer. Well, that's a business decision too, but it's not helping a bigger picture purposeful kind of initiative. But and, there's also the, and, the 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 question of what is the optimal answer versus what right. is a good enough answer. Yes. Right. Precisely. And the the one thing that you know data engineering is is kind of saddled with is the fact that they as a group are viewed by both the data producers and the data consumers as <laughs> a barrier of sorts and as a you know as the group that gets in the way because uh, exactly all of these issues come you know come, come to bear i it's very important for me to get for example as a consumer the following data in the following form under the following SLA. And, you know, data engineering is going to come back and say, okay, but recall that for us to do that for you and not across the board means, guess what? You're going to have to pay more. And yeah. basically internal pricing and, and cost allocation is one of those things that data engineering is got to live, you know, going to have to live with in a big way for a long time. Yeah, and it doesn't and it, help that that the uh, that data ops is usually a big 
sticker shock because the cost of working with data is always underestimated. Exactly. Yeah. And um, we haven't even talked about compliance. Well, this is the other thing. You know, there are there are two things that I think people don't take into account or don't take don't give as much attention as uh, as they're due. One is the quite frankly the direct communication and and I'll say at least a sense of understanding between data data producers and data consumers we you know we have things like data contracts and and so forth but those data contracts are between the consumer and then and the engineering infrastructure it's not a contract between the data producer and the eventual data consumers that doesn't exist there's there there's you know you're relying on the on data engineering to kind of solve that problem for everybody. Klaus is absolutely right. Um, compliance wow. is just one of those things that you know you're you the the longer term kind of the the common. The common sense notion that forward costs, long-term costs, have to be brought into the equation and into the into the the costing, you know, the pricing mechanism is unlike almost any other part of our business. This is all. I mean, it becomes very very clear that you have um, you have total costs or something closer to total costs that have to be recognized early on for data engineering to do its job. I don't disagree, but my question is <laughs> how, how you're managing that cost structure in, in a time of volatility and dynamicism mm. that you cannot control because the consumers ultimately it's not only about how the regulations will change, but the needs of the consumers as well as that of the producers will also be dynamic. It's almost like you need kind of a, to make a bad analogy, microservices just to be able to provide all the context that's required. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's not, it's not an easy kind of engineering economic optimization problem that you can solve. It just doesn't, it's too damn messy. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it's weird because when you think about it, I mean, I'm coming at this from the point of view of, I saw something recently, which is um, a vendor's product that goes cross cloud and sucks all of the, Cost, you know, all of the relevant details for costing into mm. this capability and allows you to actually, for the first time that, that I know of, recognize what your cloud spend is across multi clouds, cross clouds, how and not on a workload basis, but based on the reality of egress. 
And so you can literally monitor in real time what this is costing you almost down to the query level. And I'm going like, that's fantastic. Every CFO in the world is going to want this. Plus, if you allow for edge and allow for on-prem, you're golden, guys. You know, this is fantastic. However, I thought about it and I thought about it. And as good as it is, it really can't answer every requirement, not that any technology can, because that context is going to change. So I thought about it a little bit and I said, well, you know, if we grab from somewhere else, maybe the trick is really to take from what we all hear about, and I know you're all going to laugh about this, take the notion of prompt engineering that ChatGTP is becoming so famous for and apply that to SQL. Teach people how to write their queries better, more succinctly, more um, capably, so that some of that cost can then be offset without necessarily um, uh, uh, diminishing the speed at which the response is given and create sort of a, a matrix of this is what's common and standard and this is what's anomaly. And let me throw one more thing in there, and I, I'll bet you that Klaus has a has a good reaction to this. It turns out that much of that measurement that we're talking about that you've just mentioned the mm-hmm. the or the the product that you know is figuring out what things are costing at the point in time if they're not based on unobtrusive measures. And by that, I mean, they don't, in fact, require you to make another query against the SQL database. Yep. That's goodness, because what you're talking about is, you know, measurement systems and and costing systems that they that are themselves adding to the administrative overload on on all these things. Mm. And you're sitting there kind of going, oh, man, you know, so companies like that are for, in, for data. Well, it's a form of FinOps, but the mechanism by which you um, you want to do a lot of this measurement or cost assessment has to rely on data exhaust on on kind of Ooh. The stuff that gets thrown off of the the data pipeline. So there are a couple of companies that I'm aware of that are saying, here's what I can ascertain simply by going through and applying machine learning and and classic analytics to the data log, to the log files. I don't have to create another query that hits the database. What can I what can I do to look for issues regarding anomalous behavior uh, of various kinds? What can I do to show variations in traffic? There are enormous amounts of information available to us in data engineering by looking at the data exhaust of the pipeline itself. Yeah. And, and so that's that's wow. that's where this that's where a big secret I think is is <laughs> it's not a secret. It's one of those things that I think uh more and more of the next generation of um 
data ops tooling is going to focus on. But yeah. y'all are First describing all, something totally different than I expected. And I'm, I'm really <laughs> um, surprised. Um, just are right. we rocking your world? Well, I mean, it's what what <laughs> what you're describing to me isn't I don't consider ops, but I, I, I accept the definition of its operations for data. Um, and, and, you know, husbandry and stewardship all make sense to me, but I, I, I agree with you. There's, I, I've always had this impression, you know, even in all the calls we've had up until now of, I, I set up a data source and it's, it's neutral from, you know, retrieval aspect, right? It's, you know, I understand securing it and not giving everybody access and things like that, but this idea of tuning uh, you know, sending pricing signals for what it costs or, un, you know, boy, it's funny. I'm aware that things like queries against data sources will have different costs. Um, I hadn't thought about manipulating that or using that as part of the, you know, infrastructure, the data infrastructure that you're building actually needs to send pricing signals back to people or timing signals back to people. Um and just how much work is going to go into figuring that out and, and, mm -hmm. and providing that, that, that guidance. Yeah. First well, of all, sorry, Rich, to, to Rich's point, um, this thing only touches logs, doesn't initiate new queries, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. the, the, the exhaust is being mined. Let's put it that way. And mined for purpose. To your point, Rob, this is the biggest aha that you can give any clients anywhere, any CFO, because they all have the same issue. I have no way to manage or to figure out how I can cut back on my cloud spend. Right. Because I don't know where the hell the money is being spent down to a very granular level of saying, well, maybe it's worth it to repatriate X database or X system back in-house because the cost of egress is just so out of control. So here's a real number. Right. I spoke with someone a few days ago, second, third time that I've spoken with them. The guy was adamant. He's saying, and I quote, $844,000 per month on cloud. Yeah. We can't afford to keep this up long-term. Yeah. How? Where? And they talked to AWS and they didn't get satisfactory answers from them until they started looking a little bit more granularly and more and more. And the deeper they got, they realized that they were being charged three times over three services for one answer, one set of data answers, three times. But you, but, and now they're trying to figure out, well, which service can we cut or how do we, you know, sort of like aggregate this down in a way that's more cost-effective. Somebody else, he tells me, somebody else in the same industry just wrote a piece and I'm trying to get my hands on it, $1.3 million per month. Yeah. That's their spend. And they've decided enough is enough. 
They're taking everything out of the cloud, re-architecting it and modernizing it, but bringing it back on front. Back in, back in, back where they have control. Where they have control over it. And they're also looking for a way new, whether it's low code or no code or, you know, other kinds of capabilities to reduce that cost. So they're looking at OpenGraph and other non-SQL kind of databases to push things into as well. So two years in, they're now completely backing out and they're about to go public with it. I am told. That's incredible. Yeah. So the the crack in the walled garden and, and why this came about, just to emphasize the point is IBM's purchase of Aptio. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's what Aptio does. Oh, from a cost-spend analysis perspective? Cost-spend analysis and FinOps, yeah. So, and to me, I mean, I put a little pithy tweet out about it, but um, it's it's a very good thing because it fits beautifully with uh, Watson X. Mm. But this is... They they were presenting presenting that with... um, didn't they buy Turbonomic? They were they were integrating yeah. that with Turbonomic and then presenting that at uh, Glucon. That was the right. that was their big um, showcase item, which makes sense from what you're describing. I don't think it was right for the audience at Glucon, but from a enterprise audience, it's 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 spot on. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what we were but talking. About. Our executive team was talking about a, a new urgency around compliance and risk risk uh, risk. Uh, and governance from companies, um, and you made the you made the point, Rob. You know, you, you you said the magic word, and that was data finops. Yeah, you know, this is this is this is a very vital aspect of you know the next generation of well the present, but certainly the next generation of data engineering solutions. It's it's fascinating to me because there's a degree of control in this that y'all are describing. Um, and maybe some of it didn't exist that much, but now that the, the costs are rolling in, people are, are coming back and realizing that they need they need to put the controls in. Actually, that, maybe that's this is the, the question uh, of what you're describing here. How much of it is actually available for people to to turn knobs on? and actually do this type of operational engineering. Depends on which cloud provider you're talking about. Okay. But I would suggest to you that from your vantage point, I'd be looking at why I wouldn't take that opportunity to think about the granularity and cost capability for IAC to be used. How you configure how you you are routing the, the right. you know that whole that element and i mentioned that to someone else because um they're coming in from cross cloud multi cloud hybrid cloud environment for autonomous autonomous security mm-hmm. very um, smart guys in your neck of the woods rich but Very I feel like on the infrastructure side, at least, uh, since you mentioned ISC, um, a lot of the these cost measures have already been, to some degree, answered. And, and um, 
Like there, there at least there's a lot of tooling out there already. Like uh, all the scaling groups uh, and uh, resource quotas and so on. The but going back to the topic which is data ops, the the biggest problem is that we are not understanding the data that we are collecting. Like we we are still treating our data lakes or, or data silos as a kitchen sink. We're throwing everything we can in there because we don't know what it is we need to keep. Right. And of right. course, to your earlier point, uh, Klaus, you know, the, the consumers, well, both the, um, the data producers who are saying, you know, don't throw anything away. The data consumers are saying, well, I can tell you what I need now, but I can't tell you what I'm going to need a year from now. Um, yep. So why don't you keep it all? And of course, data engineering sitting there holding this big <laughs> bag of bits, you know, and it's we a, have a hoarding problem. We absolutely uh, have uh, a hoarding yeah. problem. We have a data hoarding problem. And and it's well, it's not getting and, better. No, and well, you, you, we also we better. also have a, a a data, and it's there's a, isn't there an analysis problem implied in that? In that it's I'm hoarding data because I actually can't I can't value it correctly. Uh, or or could they? And they just they're afraid of it's not of matter, being wrong. It's not so much a better. Yeah, that's closer to it. Okay. Um, and and so. One of the, I mean, to to Klaus's point, um, it speaks to the whole premise of, to borrow a term, shifting left, such that anything that makes it into the data lake is, I'll call it pre-processed, or at least, you know, run through the, uh, you know, kind of the... <laughs> If we were talking about truly a lake and water coming in, it would be going through various kinds of filtration systems. And um, one of the big issues is uh, deduplication right up front. I mean, if you know something already exists in the data lake, why store it again? If you know mm. that, um, yeah, and yes, it's going to be it's going to generate expense in metadata to keep track of that. But at the end of the day, we've talked about in the past metadata being the basis on which data engineering and data you know really exists. So at a certain point, if you're concerned about not finding data, undue replication of data, not keeping data under version control. Yep. Hit it on the on the in right there okay. at the at and the that's, point and of that's, contact. And that's that to me is clearly data ops. I and actually that the, yeah. the, there's also a, a, a danger of, of shifting left the data analysis. For example, so to, let, let, yeah. let, let's say um and, and this is actually a common example with, with Prometheus, which is a monitoring system. Um, the difference between like calculating rates when you're producing the data and getting the, the raw data points and then calculating the, the rates at the last moment. 
um, which is which in, in Prometheus, like it's the difference between the two data types that they have, which is summaries and histograms. Mm-hmm. Uh, histograms are more computationally expensive, but right. they allow you to 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 shift your quantiles right. to 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 do to any number that you want. With with summaries, mm-hmm. you calculate them beforehand, but you well you you lose the the the, the original data. You you only get the the calculated numbers. It is not it is not lossless. It is yeah. not lossless, and the kind of shifting left that I'm talking about is really um, much more operational, much more to the, the the data pipeline itself, not the analysis. Yeah, uh, analysis. Let the yeah. let the consumer of data take responsibility yeah. for the analysis. Yeah, and uh, since you mentioned the duplication, that is also a very controversial topic because deduplication data at the producing point is extremely difficult. It is much easier to deduplicate at at the very earliest at the ingestion point. Uh, but yeah. in some cases, it, it may be it's also easier to just uh, deduplicate at the index point, like ingest all the data, even if it's duplicate, and then when you query it, you just drop. Silently to drop the, the duplicates there. Yeah. And um that of course gives gives you fairly easier data production and, and fairly redundant data production. Right. But it also gives you a much higher network transfer cost. Yeah. Well, yes. Um the premise that, that we're operating on with uh with Provenant is exactly we literally audit any data that gets that that comes in through the ingestion port and if we've seen a key value pair before especially in unstructured data you know we don't store it again if we've seen it before we take the reference we know where to where how to how to read Kind of pull it back out and deliver it to the cons- to the consumer when it's necessary, but we don't store it again, and that also leads to a much easier um, version control under the de- for the data set. It leads to the ability to identify similarities between data sets so that you can find if someone has you know violated a um a license or a data contract because they're they've they've taken a um you know a, a snapshot of something and and thrown it into an excel spreadsheet that that they shouldn't have um there's a lot of things that you get as a result of doing that and we know that it um adds to the volume of metadata that we collect about the data sets, but our ability to access data, our ability to do set-oriented functions on big data sets, bam, it's, it's, but it is a cost issue. It is a, a big cost issue. But the question that I would have around that is the risk mitigation 
the value of doing it far outweigh the cost probably by multiples. And as you're doing that, I'm assuming that mm. I'll, maybe not Provident, but others out there in the world, there, there has to be somebody sitting with AI being able to point out all the places of duplication across enterprise systems in yeah. order to affix yeah. everything is contextual not, rules. Yeah, we can't assume that everything that an enterprise has in place already or is going to have for you know years to come has gone through this very process. It can't, you know, it would, it would, it just doesn't make any sense. I completely agree with you on that score. The other point um, about the way we do things or, or, or putting them in place is that every, every action that is invoked on any of our APIs, internal, external, is subject to a policy and it's an explicit policy, and it has to do with source, the the per, the organizational unit that's requesting a certain uh, uh, function, um, the the jurisdiction under which the you know where the data is stored. All of that has to be basically mediated by policies, and mm -hmm. yeah, it's an overhead but it's an overhead that brings your total cost down to should bring your total costs down and your ability to address a lot of these questions we've we've just raised so um it's it's not intuitive but it's it it it's starting to work yeah, no, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I was looking at it from the perspective of, um, you know, I'm very big on context and the fluidity of context. If you find the duplicates, the context around those duplicates, if you look at a very granular level, is completely different. So I was trying to figure out how you could possibly use workflow oh, tools and business rules to say, as a consumer of data or a producer of data, my overall function in terms of my what I actually do on a day-to-day -day basis would start to put some parameters around X, Y, or Z data and why I would constantly be using that as a norm and a list of sort of contextual reasons of why I might want other things as the role changes or the dynamics of the business change or governance and stewardship and regulatory kick in. How do I, how do I set up for that for the future? And what I kept coming back to was, you know, in manufacturing, we have historians, right? right. Uh, from the shop floor, that might be the best way to diminish the terabytes and petabytes and zettabytes of data that we're dealing with, because mm -hmm. I could snapshot, you know, if it's older than 30 days, give me a summary of what happened previously so I can use it for a predictive or a prescriptive analytic. But do I really need something that's five years old that's not going to do me any good at the best of times? Probably not. 
if I have a record of the met metadata of it and can recreate just the information that I need to satisfy one event that might be a one in 5,000 versus a one in 1,000, then I'm golden. And the I satisfying, can the satisfying, the satisfying criteria is the, is the, is the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. As long as your metadata is not biased. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. What, what, what y'all are describing seems so hard to me from a, it's, from a, it's, it's messy. It's just messy as hell. And what's funny is that, you know, having come from first the network side of things where designing upper layer protocols, you know, the payload was a bag of bits. I yeah. didn't care what was in the, the payload of the protocol. It's the protocol, getting it to where, okay, moving from that to cloud computing and, and so forth, I, you know, and distributed computing. Once again, the data was just, you know, it was the stuff, stuff that was discs. there. Yeah. And it was not until, you know, maybe well, I would say, Kind of as as I finished up a bunch of stuff and started looking at data security, identity, data version control kinds of things, big data, you know, like maybe 2007, 2008, that this whole thing just kind of went, whoa, I've been, I have been, I have been woefully and conscious and unconsciously ignorant of this aspect. Mm. And that is why <laughs> time to shift gears and change, change the, change the, uh, the way I'm navigating through all of this. This, this has been helpful and surprising to me about, about what, what I think of when we talk about operations and how complex it is. So thank you. Well, all right. I'll have to well, think about where, where, what topic, I, what topic comes next from this. I still do want to talk about the infrastructure side. <laughs> we should. We absolutely should. And because uh, and, there's just an amazing amount of cool stuff, cool tooling that's out there. And yeah. there are people that are willing, who are now quite adept at the use of them and putting these things together, but they are, some of them are really artists and some of them are just turn the crank and, you know, take that same old model and, and implement it. I'm going to have pipelines, architectures. Out. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, the, I think there's two, you know, parting word. Um, cool. There's data operations and then there's data operationalizing and i think we've been talking a lot about operationalizing data making it for purpose and, and that part of ops and the two somehow have to come together because you can't do infrastructure ops without the other part, and you can't do operationalization well without understanding the infrastructure below it hmm. and how you can make that work better for you. Just my two cents.
I like it. I'll track it as a future topic. Uh, next week, no meeting as a reminder, 4th of July for the US. And uh, July 13th, we're talking about investments unlimited. Cool. Excellent. Excellent, everybody. Thank you. Wow. There are times with Cloud 2030 when you open a door and walk through to find an amazing, unexpected conversation. And for me, this was exactly that. I hope you found this conversation enlightening. Uh, it definitely showed me a side of the data world that I hadn't seen. And since we keep finding those in these conversations, that is really impressive. Uh, and we will come back and do the DevOps for Data conversation in the future. Uh, so please join us. If you are interested in our book group, please uh, visit at the 2030.cloud, check out the agendas, read some of these books. We're looking at amazing books um, and we always have great conversations. But those conversations would be even better if you came and joined us. You're welcome to find out all the details at the 2030.cloud. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.